e-commerce gold is brought to you by rewind accidents happen maybe you installed an app and it messed up your theme or a store collaborator deleted product images by mistake it's a common myth that shopify has a backup that you can use when something goes wrong with your store the fact is they don't that's untrue that myth is busted so what do you do you use rewind to equip your shopify store with automated backups Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. It's trusted by over 100,000 businesses from side hustles to the biggest online retailers like Nix, Lord & Taylor, and Moomin. It's even a Shopify Plus certified app. Best of all, visit rewind.com forward slash e-commerce gold and get your first month for absolutely nothing free on us. Econ Gold Podcast has partnered with Clearco to provide you with financial tools to grow your business without having to give away equity. Clearco is the world's largest e-commerce investor and growth platform, giving founders the financial tools, capital and network they need to grow. Plug in your Shopify store and your loan could be agreed within just 24 hours. Visit clear.co slash partner slash Vixxr, V-I-X-X-R for exclusive deals, £1,000 off your first loan as a podcast listener and more information. This show is brought to you in collaboration with Vixxr, a leading Shopify agency with a mission to grow and migrate brands to Shopify Plus. They've worked with some of the world's largest brands who can help you level up your e-commerce performance. Visit vixxr.com, V-I-X-X-R.com for more information. Cody, thank you so much for joining us on the Ecom Gold podcast. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great, Finn. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here and chat uh, some e-commerce. Which one's Batman and Robin? We've had Eli on. Which way around is it? Oh, man, that's a great question. I don't know. I think we're we're a little bit more like Shake and Bake. <laughs> I don't know oh. about Batman and Robin. I think we're a little bit more Shake and Bake. Or okay. we're like Step, Step Brothers, maybe, might be a more accurate one. I, I just, you know what? You're like my favorite Twitter couple. I don't mean couple is in like, you know, rela- <laughs> no, relationship-wise, but I just love the, I love the internal banter that you allow us into. Uh, it, it makes me laugh a lot. Uh, sort of, yeah. I appreciate it. We, we think we're funny, so I don't really care if anyone else does, but it's good, glad to hear someone does. Do you know what? There's so many, there's like other, like Drew Fallon has his inside stuff where he just posts like crickets on all of his co- co-founders like posts. You guys like have just general banter back and forth. I love it. I just, I wish we encourage more people to use Twitter as more of a comedy platform because it is yeah, just yeah. so We're funny. Just trying to have fun with it. There's, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of great stuff on there. There's a lot of learning, but there's also... For whatever reason, there's a lot of kind of negativity and and bro stuff. So we're just trying to have fun as well. We're trying to help and, and give value, but also just trying to have fun and not take things too seriously either. I see that, and I think you're one of the bravest people on Twitter. Uh, anyone who's <laughs> in the in the uh, in the Twitter sphere of D2C or e-commerce, you'll know who Cody is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think you're authentic, and I think you're brave, and I think you uh, you know don't hold back in some situations, which is great. That's what it's for. And like, why why try and appeal to everyone? Just do the things you think to be right. But yeah. I always think you're respectable. You know, you know, you know, never don't overstep. Sometimes, off. sometimes. Hmm. <laughs> um, how was Paris? You recently went to Paris. Yeah, man, it was great. It was great. A little baby moon. So last trip before the baby comes, it was awesome. Uh, a few weeks off of, you know, not doing too much work, eating a, a ton. So I'm, I'm pretty happy to be, I've been home for a few weeks, 
working on that diet again because it's it's totally different to how we're eating here. But yeah, it was it was great. Just gorged ourselves and, and saw some really cool things. Went to London and got to go to Wimbledon, which was totally the highlight of the trip as well. Who did you see? Uh, we we went first day. We actually saw so we, we saw a little bit of Tiafu, uh, young American guy. Then we saw Djokovic as the first match on center court, which was really cool. That obviously he won. Um, young British girl, I forget her name, Emma something. Uh, she's oh, yeah. an 18 year old British girl. She's really good. And then Andy Murray. Uh, so oh, that was fun. Djokovic watching him watching him was really fun. Yeah, it's um, the home of cream and strawberries. One, of course, had, had a few of those. <laughs> How is the fitness training going? I saw your tweet recently about getting some cardio equipment in the uh, in the uh, flat. So, yeah, um, yeah, good man. You know, just trying to. Um, trying to prepare for the dad bod got a baby coming in you know a few months so i know it's definitely getting harder but we're we're building out a house right now uh so just trying to figure out what equipment we want because i'm just trying to make everything as convenient as possible so we pretty much never have to leave so i'm getting getting a cold plunge in there getting a sauna getting a tonal and then trying to figure out a piece of cardio equipment as well Man, that sounds awesome because you've got a weightlifting background, right? So surely you, can you, not, you can't convince a squat rack or two? No, my body also can't handle it, that anymore. Did a lot, lot of heavy training for a few years, so kind of beat my body up. So now it's just all about trying to feel good. What do you, I, mate, I was, I was, I was toying with getting one of these cold tanks. Uh, I've heard so many good things about the cold tanks, about the saunas. Is it, 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 you just immerse yourself in cold water. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. So you can start, I started it with uh, cold showers. You can do like three minutes in a cold shower, like Wim Hof, the, the Iceman is like a guy who's really big on it, but there's a lot of research and there, it seems like they're just becoming really popular, but um, yeah, essentially it's exposure therapy. So, you know, it's, it's a stressor, it's a shock to your nervous system. And so your brain and your nervous system will want to go in a little bit into fight, fight or flight mode. And, you know, just to protect you because it's a heat or cold is a stressor. And then what you do, it's kind of like a meditative state where you work on controlling your heart rate as much as possible. That activates a, the parasympathetic state of your nervous system. And it just allow, it allows you to kind of remain calmer. Um, so there's a lot of good research that it helps with like dopamine, like norepinephrine. So it kind of helps like buffer stress. So, yeah, for me, it just puts me in a really good mood, kind of gets rid of a little bit of pain and tightness. Uh, it's a great way to wake up. So, yeah, re- really big fan of it. Um, fortunate enough to be able to get it at the house. So I'm, I'm excited to have it. Sounds also quite helpful when your Facebook CPMs are going through the roof. You just jump in. The yeah. <laughs> CPM, CPAs, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Take your mind off it. Some, so, some days you need it. Yeah, for sure. So can we get a bit of a personal background on who you are before we jump into the kind of business side of things? Who, who is Cody? What's your work experience? How have you gotten to where you are today um, and why you gravitated maybe towards e-commerce? Yeah, of course, definitely. So totally not traditional background. Uh, I went to school for exercise science, always thought I wanted to train athletes, own a gym, thought business was stupid. Um, you know, really didn't didn't think about marketing and, and business, just thought I wanted to kind of do do something I loved. Uh, so I love working out, love training athletes. So pretty quickly, um, I was able to train like professional athletes, did a lot of like NFL combine training. So for people that wanted to play in the NFL, um, uh, you know, at a place kind of became like, like the head strength and conditioning coach there, uh, when I was pretty young. So we do a lot of that. It was awesome. Super cool being able to train athletes and all that kind of stuff. Um, didn't really love working for other people. I'm not great at that. 
So left start my own business. It was a gym and a physical therapy clinic now with, with my now wife. And we started it up in somewhere where we really didn't know anybody. You know, we thought at the time it was, it was very arrogant, but you know, if you're good, people will come. So we always focused on product didn't really think about anything about, you know, marketing and how to reach people. And we quickly realized that that, that was not going to be a winning strategy because we, we weren't full. We were, you know, running out of money. So we were down to the last like few thousand in our our account and we found some guy who was teaching like marketing strategies um, for physical therapists and and you know long long story short uh, I got hooked on marketing I have a very obsessive addictive personality so got very hooked on marketing uh, over the next few years we grew that business you know opened up multiple locations um, and I, I really didn't have an interest in in training people in fitness uh, so so got really into marketing other people that we knew kind of in that space you know learned that we were doing well we were doing something special so I started kind of consulting with them and then I don't really know how it happened but made my way over to e-commerce kind of just got, you know, infatuated with Facebook ads like a lot of people did because it's, I guess, the easiest dopamine rush. It's, you know, the, the easiest way to find success and uh, and kind of validate ideas. So, yeah, I got really into it. I think, I guess I hit the ceiling for like what you could do with Facebook ads for like a local service business. So got into e-commerce, started doing some freelance media buying, uh, just a lot of growth stuff. And then um, Jones Road is a family company. My mom is Bobby Brown. So when they were you know, launching it, it was you know, completely DTC. And the, the GM at the time was like, hey, like, do you know any agencies? Like, do, should we hire an agency? Should we go in-house? Like, we heard you're pretty good at this stuff. Like, what do you think? And I was like, I was like, definitely don't hire an agency. Like, do it in-house. Like, and they were like, well, we don't know anyone. Do you want to do it? And I was like, hell no. Like, I don't want to be in a family business. And so I, uh, they ended up hiring an agency, not one who I, I you know, signed off on. But I, I was so I was consulting in the, the beginning. You know, I just, you know, thought I could help a little bit. Didn't want to be too involved. But I was like, when I saw stuff and they launched, I was like, hey, like, you should think about this. You should set up these type of ads, all that kind of stuff. You should set up these email flows. And they really didn't have anybody to do it. Um, so they were like, well, can you do it? So kind of just one thing led to another. And about two, almost two years later, here we are, we're, you know, mid eight figures, you know, we did, uh, you know, it's public. We did about 20 million in our first year. Uh, we'll do much more than that this year. Kind of can't share numbers and I'm, I'm CMO. So I'm still running, all of our ads or, or most of our ads, Facebook and TikTok, uh, and just overseeing uh, every part of marketing. And we're, we're growing fast and having a lot of fun. So take me back to those days in the gym, you and your, was it your wife at the time? Or now, you still, uh, you? Girlfriend then, now wife. Girlfriend at the time. Sounds like you had your back to the wall um, in terms of, you know, you're not, you know, you, you've got overheads and, and the money's you know, burn rate and uh, you're running yeah. out. And you decided to do something about it. And I don't think in any life, you know, fight or flight, isn't it? You know, you're either, you're going to yeah. sink or you're going to swim in that situation. So it sounds like you just grasped it and applied yourself. And so, so like in that situation, you got a consultant by the sounds of things, but like, how did you pivot from basically, I guess, general marketing knowledge to being, you know, able to drive people to this gym? Like, was it a quick thing that happened overnight? Would you just double down on Facebook? Like, what was the process? Yeah. Great question. No, it wasn't quick. It was, so this guy taught, um, kind of direct response principles from mainly kind of from this guy named Dan Kennedy, who is like a legend in like the direct response space. He kind of the mastermind behind like proactive, uh, a lot of like Guthy ranker stuff, a lot of like 
hardcore direct response stuff, um, but also kind of a ton of like the info product stuff that you see out there all kind of stems from him. Um, so yeah, I just kind of learned it and it was, I guess, channel agnostic, but it was a lot more principle-based understanding just general psychology, marketing psychology, um, funnels, sales techniques, all, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, we would do everything from postcards, newspaper ads, you know, Facebook ads was definitely the the easiest one and the biggest one, you know, Google ads, um, you know, PPC, it was really kind of all that kind of stuff. And it just, I, I don't know, it just kind of slowly grew. I just got hooked on it and infatuated with it. But I, I do think a lot of what we learned then was critical to our success now. I mean, I think everybody should do sales at one point because I think, you know, the best way to learn marketing is actually to talk to people and see what's working and, and what's not. So definitely, I mean, we were selling something that, you know, we were selling essentially $8,000, $10,000 physical therapy packages when literally right across the street, you could, you know, go in and, and use your insurance and pay 25 bucks. So you really have to be good at marketing and, and selling uh, and, you know, creating differentiation to, to be able to do that type of a thing. Uh, so yeah, a lot of trial and error and just figuring, figuring out, but definitely a lot of lessons I learned there, you know, still carry over because, uh, the principles are, are the same. You know, I saw like, like, uh, and one guy I followed for a while. I don't know if you're familiar with Alex Hermosi. Heard of the name. He's, he's legit. I mean, he actually comes from the, the gym space. Now he has like acquisitions.com. So he just like does a lot of, uh, online businesses. But he was on My First Million and Sean, one of the hosts of My First Million, was like, this doesn't apply to e-commerce. And so he literally made like a separate video where he was essentially talking about how all of the stuff in, in his book, $100 million offers, like applies to e-commerce. So I just try to be very principle based, not get too tactical and just think about kind of like the general marketing psych- psychological principles. Uh, and I think so many of those have have carried over very nicely. Yeah. And, and if you've got, um, you know, a small fund and that fund is is sort of a limited supply there's no end to that rope you know when you get there you're just going to fall off um that probably makes you into quite a savvy marketer when every penny counts have you carried that through to your current position i think every penny counts but also like if you're selling something that nobody wants right nobody wants physical therapy and no also so no one wants it because it's hard work or a gym nobody need it's not like a supplement where you get like the, the fix immediately. Right. Also. So you have to do hard work. Nobody knows they need it. So you have to understand the levels of, of awareness and how to speak to people at kind of different uh, stages of a customer journey and take them all the way from, they have a problem. They have no idea what the solution is. They've tried a bunch of things. So they're incredibly skeptical all the to the point where you're asking them to write you a $10,000 check to fix their problem. I mean, that's not just putting up a Facebook ad and saying, buy me like, that's, there's a lot of, you know, uh, there's a lot of work that you have to do to, to, to take somebody through that journey. Um, and I think if you can do that and learn how to do stuff like that, then you can absolutely do things like, you know, sell makeup online. Then that part becomes pretty easy actually. Do you know what? That starts to make a lot of sense. I'm connecting things in my head now. When I look at your strategies with quizzes and other things that you do, you're much more in depth at each stage of the user journey, I would say the most brands, and I can see how that DNA might have been attributed from a previous challenge. And you've brought that across, which we'll delve into a bit in the future. But how did the gym story end? What happened to the gym? Uh, we sold it. So I, I wasn't involved. I was I was pretty full time at Jones Road. I was also just doing a bunch of consulting with other brands. So it was mainly my wife and, you know, uh, we were fortunate enough just to get some offers. You know, I, I had kind of 
you know, I, I had moved on by then and I think my wife was ready to move on and do other things. So yeah, uh, we were fortunate enough to, to, to sell it and, and get a decent, you know, n- nothing crazy, but, but, you know, walk away with uh, a little bit for our time and be able to, you know, move on and do other things. Mm-hmm. And you said then that uh, you were asked about whether that someone should employ a freelancer or a fractional um, employee or an agency, and your response was quite violently no to the agency. What 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 emotions are behind that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I I have a lot of friends that are agency owners. There are some excellent agencies out there for for any type of work. You know, uh, just for for kind of context, like this was like a paid social agency uh, specifically. And I think my general thought was that. You know, paid social, mainly Facebook we're talking is is something that is such a, a big part of DTC success. And it's not at all the only you know part, but it's, you know, most brands are doing upwards of 60% of their traffic from Facebook. So it's something that you're going to do every single day. Probably You're probably going to have Facebook ads running every day that you're going to be in existence as a brand. You know, uh, why not do that in-house? There's so many reasons to do that in-house. Um, uh, why not essentially? Cause there's, I just think there's more pros and cons if you figure that that's your skill set. I mean, and we still use agencies for, for tons of things. You know, we use a, a web development agency. We use a, a video creative agency, you know, we'll use, uh, agencies for other things. But for, for example, if we're going to buy TV ads, like I, I, we don't have the expertise in that. We're also not going to run TV ads every single day. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll kind of be on and off. So it definitely makes sense to hire an expert agency for that. But for something like, you know, Facebook, which we're going to be running every single day, like why outsource that? Yeah, I agree. And actually we've had, um, experience here hiring quite junior people out straight out of school or college and giving them the blueprint for Facebook. And they've been fairly effective when they are able to pay the attention. I think you can get to a very good level without needing years and years of experience or necessarily incredibly talented people. Um, and ultimately most agencies would just palm your account off onto someone like that which is yeah you're getting the same thing anyway it's just for a fraction of the cost Mm -hmm. i mean i mean i've i know some excellent agencies but i've also done some you know audits and mentor pass calls with with agencies who are you know uh have some credibility and, and have some pretty big clients and i've been shocked to see what's inside some of their accounts and you know i it's just kind of horrifies me a little bit. I mean, I'm sure a lot of in-house people are also not running things that well, but yeah, I was a little bit horrified. So, uh, you know, the grass is always greener. There are also amazing agencies as well. So you just got to find out what's best for your business and kind of, you know, weigh the pros and cons, but always, it always depends. Mm. I like the way you put that with the kind of expertise. If you don't have the expertise and start with an agency and then bring it in-house if it works for your brand, I guess, like TV, like you said, few few and far between the spots. So, why would you why would you have an internal person looking after that one day a week or something? For sure, exactly. Give us um a bit more of a depth, uh, a deep dive into Jones Road. Then the products, um, the team, the team size, how it's grown, the markets, the channels. Just give us a kind of blanket overview of Jones Road. Yeah, of course. So we launched uh, October 26, 2020. Was was Bobby's actually non compete? She had a twenty five year non compete. So uh, couldn't really do any pre-launch because we, she wanted to launch on that day, but you know, there was a lot of press that kind of hit that day. So from the beginning, you know, momentum was pretty strong and there was an audience kind of built in there. Um, so I think definitely surpassed expectations just in the initial, you know, month It was kind of like, Oh, like we, we know we have something there. Uh, and then really just kind of figuring out how to grow it. I mean, it was pre iOS, 
you know, our ROAS was great, but we were also, you know, fortunate enough to get a lot of, uh, a lot of organic traffic from, from press still, just cause it was, it was new and buzzworthy. Um, we launched with a very limited, uh, SKU set, uh, very limited collection. So we, we launched a ton, uh, as we went. So there was always kind of something new, uh, and, and fun going on. Um, and you know, overall did well, I think when iOS hit it, it hurt a little bit. Um, you know, there were definitely growing pains trying to figure out, you know, how to build a team, how to get a, you know, a little bit more experience on the team, uh, how to exist without just talking about products and, and relying on a, a well-known founder is, uh, was kind of a, a large struggle, really just trying to figure out what your messaging is. Cause a lot of times when you launch, and, you know, I wasn't involved in these conversations when we launched. You think your brand and your messaging is going to be one thing. And, you know, fortunately, you know, we found that people were, were, were loving what we were selling, but it wasn't really for the reasons why we originally thought. So I think just being open to reshaping those things, reshaping your brand deck, uh, still a work in progress to this day. But it's yeah, you just have to you have to be adaptable and and kind of picking up on what's actually resonating with people, and it might not be what you think at all. Uh, so that's that's been a big focus. And then yeah, just trying to find strategic growth levers is kind of what I spend most of my time thinking about. So you know what 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 platforms are we spending on? Are we creating organic content on? You know how are we growing and nurturing owned audiences? How are what are we doing to retain customers? I mean there's there's a ton that can be done, but always thinking about that. We haven't raised money. We're not going to raise money. We're bootstrapped. So one thing I think a lot about a lot is how are we uh, growing and scaling our organic traffic and paid traffic kind of concurrently, uh, doing things together. We don't want to be primarily uh, you know, uh, focused on paid. We're, we're trying to grow, but we're growing profitably every month since we've launched has, has been profitable and cash flow positive. So we want to continue to do that. And I think if you just double down on paid, yes, you can grow a lot faster, but, uh, you know, you can kind of see what happens to a lot of those brands. So we could probably grow faster, but we're, we're happy at the, the rate that we're growing really just trying to build a team now, uh, and, uh, figure out sustainable growth channels. TikTok has been great for us. We went viral on TikTok uh, this January. Um, now we do every month, we'll probably do like 30% of revenue from TikTok, both paid and organic. So that's been awesome for us and just trying to kind of find the the next unlock there. Mm-hmm. So when you started, did you did you start on ground zero with, with, with the team? Or did you come in slightly later? I was consulting from the beginning. So the first few months... Kind of first few weeks I was consulting, uh, you know, there was an agency in place and whatnot, and then kind of just things went from there. Uh, but it was, it was pretty fresh. How big was the team at the start? Uh, probably like five people. It was five, really? No, probably okay. about five full-time, yeah. Wow. And how big is it now? We're 25 full-time. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, we, we definitely have some full-time CXers, but we have some part-time, you know, some freelancers. But yeah, about 25 full-time. We have one uh, our, of our owned retail stores, which is in Montclair, New Jersey, which is where our office is. Um, so I think if you include those employees, it's probably closer to 30, 30 but 25 uh, full-time in-house. And, and how are those people divided up in terms of department? What, what sort We've of- probably got eight or nine on the marketing team, but we're growing and hiring there probably slightly less than that on the ops team between supply chain, product development, um, business operations, uh, you know, um, director of people operations, just hired a new COO. Um, and then, you know, Eli, who's been on the show is director of CX and retention. 
uh, and then he, so he's got a four or five person full-time CX team. Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing. And what, and what do you have the stats for your year over year growth in percentage roughly? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably triple what we did in 2020. Uh, if not, if not, we'll be close to it. Wow. Just depending that's, on how the rest of the year goes, rest of the year goes. So that's it. That that's an absolute, you know, marketing branding powerhouse. How have operations managed to, uh, stay oh, man. in line was, with you? <laughs> They haven't. We've had so many out of stocks. I mean, we, we essentially in eight weeks of, you know, going viral on TikTok in January, so our best-selling product is Miracle Bomb. We sold as much in those eight weeks as we did in the previous year. Uh, so it was pretty intense. So lots of out-of-stocks, lots of rushing to place POs and placing the largest POs that we could. Um, so not not always easy. We hired a full-time demand planner because we needed to kind of you know level our game up, especially if we're going to consider international expansion and stuff like that. So yeah, totally not uh, not easy. Tons of growing pains, but I guess those are those those good problems to have. Here's a, your I guess your role is to make is to get the demand planner fired, like in a way <laughs> because when you can go if you can get a viral thing basically if 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 they're doing a bad job because they don't have the product you're doing a great job probably um so but how do you plan for going viral and things like that like you just said how much you sold in that period how how do you because did you okay so let's start with did you plan to go viral oh absolutely time? not absolutely not no not at all why, why do you think you did go viral uh, we went viral because I think there was a there was a ton of attention on TikTok, and I think there was uh, a need that wasn't necessarily being met. Um, obviously, Bobby was well known. You know, I think I was kind of mostly the, the the you know the I had the strategy behind it, but yeah, we just kind of were like, "Hey, I'm Bobby Brown. I'm new to TikTok. Like, what do you guys want to see?" Uh, and so people kind of submitted their questions. I thought we would get like ten people that that kind of submitted a, a question. We got several hundred. Uh, so first thing we did was like a makeup for 50 plus, just very educational thing. Um, ended up going viral. We got a million views in a day, got picked up by a ton of press. The next one we did the very next day went viral, also got a million views, was a, a very body positivity one. So I think those two things, right? Everybody thought that TikTok was so, so youthful. And there was actually this really strong, you know, audience of, you know, uh, you know, 40, 50 plus people who, you know, I think there was just a white space. And obviously I think we just happened to fill that really well. And then also, um, you know, a lot of the beauty stuff that I've seen on TikTok is very like glamorous beauty, a lot of like covering up um, really passionate beauty people. But I think there were a lot of people who wanted a little bit more of a body positive, uh, authentic, you know, natural look, which is kind of what we're about. So I think it just happened to kind of uh, be, you know, the, the demand was there and the supply wasn't there to meet it. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot then. If that works so well on TikTok yeah. and TikTok live shopping is available, and yeah. uh, why are you so bearish on live shopping? Yeah, great question. I'm very bearish on live shopping. Um, so if you look at media consumption and how people are consuming media, you know, it's obviously changing like pretty rapidly with social media, TikTok, all that kind of stuff, streaming, you know. It went, but it's just for me, live shopping doesn't follow how people are consuming media at all. And it's really hard to force things and fight uphill battles. I would much rather try to follow the trends and, 
and follow the changes of, of media consumption. And what I mean by that is obviously television used to be cable. It used to be live. You couldn't record what you wanted. So live was, uh, you know, a pretty big thing. And now, you know, there, and there, there used to be two to three channels. I'm talking a long time ago, two to three channels competing for attention. And then there became more and more channels. So consumers have more choice and then you could TiVo and DVR things. So you have a little bit more choice of, of watching when you want. And then now it's like YouTube TV and, you know, you just have streaming services. So now you're, there's obviously a huge battle and competition for these streaming services. Um, but also you're watching on demand whenever you want, you know, people are just very, very busy. I'm sure they've always been very busy, but it just seems like there's, there's so much, uh, I don't really know the right word for it, but yeah, there's, there's just kind of so much demand for customers attention. Um, and, and because of that, the, the, the demand and supply kind of, you know, characteristics there, like people are, are being catered to very heavily with exactly what they want. And then you throw in, then you throw in TikTok which I don't consider a Instagram competitor. It's not a social network. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a content platform. It's an entertainment platform. Facebook today, I read an article that they're changing their newsfeed. They're no longer calling it newsfeed. They're going to show way, they're going to have multiple feeds, but they're going to like essentially stop showing you your followers and show you content creators, you know, show you way more content. So short form vertical content is changing the game. It's really really short form. It's really quick. It's really on demand whenever people just want a hit of it. And I just don't see live fitting in because it's just not how people are consuming content. You know, also if you're familiar with clubhouse clubhouse took off everything, everybody thought clubhouse was going to be huge. Um, but it, it really didn't last. And I think one reason why is because it was live. People just want it. You know, I want to listen to my podcast when I'm on a walk, I want to start it from the beginning because there's so much content out there. You have to hook people from the beginning. And if somebody joins alive in the middle of it, there's really no hook. You have to get somebody in, into it super quickly. TikToks are like 30 seconds long, but they have a great hook and you just can't hook somebody with a live thing. So to me, it just makes no sense. Mm. Yeah, rant, I, do, rant I, over. Do, I do agree. <laughs> no, no, I do. I do because I think no one's going on live to scroll through random lives uh, what a waste of your life there's no one doing no that one. For, for the same reasons that you said and i see benefits and, and just to kind of i guess put the 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 you know the counter approach out there everyone's like well it's giant in in china um i i understand that but i also think that consumers have so many more just obviously due to the politics consumers have so many more media options here versus in versus in china there's really just not that many options so I, I think it's culturally, it's very different. And I just, in our culture, I don't see it being that big of a thing. I think it'll, it'll happen. I think it'll be a fad. I think it'll come and go. And I would rather not hop on that fad. And I'd rather focus on building evergreen assets that'll kind of continue to multiply. Because when you go live, there's really no asset generation. And then you, just, you have to continue to do it. Uh, and it's a little bit of a hamster wheel. And I may be wrong. I thought TikTok was a fad for a very long time. So there's a very good chance I'm wrong. Yeah, I think I think looking at the underlying um, principle for me, it's it's does the shopping experience still still matter on Shopify or on your own website? And if mm -hmm. so, what is the experience that is being offered that isn't being offered on social media? I think if you can identify that difference, and I think it might be a generational thing where shopping and social is more closely interlinked with some of the newer generations. Yeah, um, but I don't know. I think 
Uh, it's been pointed out before that Shopify have a problem that they don't have an audience, and is is e-commerce trending towards an you know a, a social shopping platform, not necessarily just lives, but products integrated into the into the shopping platforms. I don't know. Do you have any any um, thoughts about how how uh, any audiences? Obviously, we've just seen YouTube and Shopify partner. Yeah, up I'm excited recently. about that. I'm very excited about that. I think mm. that's huge. Um, you know, YouTube is is giant. I mean. I guess it's probably maybe the world's third biggest search engine. It used to be giant, you know, second. I don't know if TikTok is bigger, but it's it's huge. And yeah, it's, it seems like just an amazing traffic source now being able to, you know, link your products there and, and send traffic. I, if I understand it correctly, they're not checking out on YouTube, though. It's just a, like a car that sends traffic to the website. Is I actually correct? haven't delved into it. I, okay. I think they might be checking out on YouTube. I'm going to have a look. Oh, I'm my understanding, I, I, I've seen it like I've seen it on Glossier. I don't know if they had beta access or something. Well, I guess they're not even on Shopify, but below their videos, they have like product cards that then link them to go somewhere else. Let's have a look. YouTube announces new Shopify integration, e-commerce tools. This podcast is being recorded literally 24 hours after the kind of public press release yeah. uh, of this. Um Live stream, oh, live streams, uh, videos. Merchants can show curated curated lists of products in product shelf below demanded videos. Store tab will be added to merchants' YouTube channel featuring their entire selection of products. Thousand products, thousand subscribers. Um, doesn't say. Don't know. Okay, I think, yeah, I think they're checking out on Shopify, but I could be wrong. Yeah, shopping within the shopping tab. Uh. Regardless, I'm, pr- I'm pretty excited about yeah. it. I think, I think you know, I think it's really exciting to watch the war for attention over the short form videos and obviously TikTok. And now it's like the TikTokification of Instagram, watching Instagram try to compete. You know, I know a lot of people are, like, are kind of upset because they're not really innovating, but I, I just think it's it's crazy how much TikTok, you know, is forcing meta to, to, to change. And then also I'm very bullish on YouTube, YouTube shorts. Um, I think a if that opens up an ad placement um, for brands that would be huge because TikTok does super well for for brands, but the scale is limited. The audience is not always you know not everyone's on there, but but YouTube obviously is a much bigger audience. Also leveraging all of Google's data, um, pretty pumped about that. But just YouTube in general is going to be a pretty big focus for us going forward. Yeah, I, I am interested in this whole strategy that Shopify is deploying, sort of piggybacking as the checkout to all these social platforms. I think it's interesting and that's obviously something they're pursuing. Um, would you prefer Would you prefer for, for YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram to offer in-platform checkout experiences, i.e. completely cutting out the web experience? And no, not at all. Checkout. So where do you see the value in Shopify and, 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 and your own platform? I'm like a DTC purist. I'm just not, I'm, I'm, I'm big on brand and I'm big on experience and I want the customer to go to our website and, and, uh, you know, stand out and, and have a way to kind of differentiate, differentiate and give people experience. I, I don't want the, the customer that's going to want to just do a one click checkout. You know, then it's like, you're really no better on Amazon. You might as well just be selling on Amazon. You know, I, I want to be differentiated. I want more friction in the funnel, not less. And I, I want to, you know, have more areas to stand out. And I think if people are going straight from an ad or a video straight to an Instagram or YouTube or TikTok checkout, there's just less of that. And I, I just don't think you're able to build as great of a relationship with the consumer. Uh, so yeah, I'm not 
I'm not, I, I don't think it'll become a thing, but if it does, I'm not super bullish on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you guys have such a powerful brand. I love um, the cleanness and the simplicity of the brand, but also the shots that you, you obviously spend a lot of time in creative and media and you're getting it right from what, from what I can see. So um, how do you, how do you, I mean, cause, cause you're not in retail yet, right? No, we're in one partner. We, we have one of our own stores. We're in one that's like a pop-up, but probably won't be a long-term thing and not, not plans to make it part of our strategy. Mm-hmm. So, so, and selling makeup online is a challenge. I guess there are challenges associated to that versus maybe some other points. Yeah. So how are you able to leverage the website and your other platforms to kind of deliver a brand experience versus just a shopping experience? Yeah, great question. Absolutely great question. Um, I think, you know, t- to, to speak to the challenges, um, I'll kind of answer that part first. You know, our, our goal is to make it as easy as possible to feel confident purchasing online. So a lot of that is education and that's on social. TikTok is the main one. Instagram's a big one. Even our, our Facebook ads are, are very educational, uh, very storytelling and educational based. They're, they're not very direct sales. All of our landing pages, you know, we'll use a lot of advertorials, editorials. It's all very education driven and we're doing everything that we can in that customer journey to help people feel comfortable picking their shade online we run probably 80% of our ads through quizzes. We go to a landing page and then to a quiz, which has the purpose of helping people pick their shade online. All of our email flows, especially like abandoned cart flows, our quiz flows, our, our uh, welcome flows. We are just trying to educate and make sure people feel comfortable picking their shade online. You know, we've got a really good return and exchange policy and process that we're trying to do a better job of making you know consumers know about beforehand. We also purposely slow down the funnel and actually uh, give people the option and recommend that they chat or send in a picture of themselves to get shade matched by a professional makeup artist that we have on staff. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're doing a lot to educate and then slow down the funnel to hopefully, you know, allow people to feel a little bit more confident. And obviously you want um, retention and you want people coming back. So how do you make your product sticky? Like how do you get people to buy the same product? How do you get people to buy and try other products? Like what's your strategy? Yeah, there? it's a great question. I mean, obviously the most important thing is that they love the product. So that's, there's nothing a marketer could do there. So obviously, you know, you, you want to be working for a brand that people are loving the products, but even outside of there, you know, what we found is our, our products are, you know, what you would call a category creator. They're not necessarily, uh, just improvements on, and de- definitely our best sellers are definitely not improvements on what's already out there, but they're, uh, they're, they're new opportunities. They're, they're completely new things, new categories. They're kind of hybrids of existing things. So, which is great that that makes it really easy to get attention and makes it really, uh, really great for ads. But, but often it, it means you have to do a lot more education if you're a category creator. I actually just uh, wrote a newsletter about this. But yeah, you you need to educate because people don't know how to use your products. It's just not something that they're familiar with. You know, for example, like I use a single blade razor from Supply. They're a DTC brand. And like that's different than using like a, uh, you know, a four blade Gillette. So like for them, like education is really important pre and post purchase to make sure people are feeling comfortable. Because the most important thing, if you want somebody to continue to buy, to get value out of their products, to tell their friends about it, they have to actually get value out of the product and like it. And if they're not using the product correctly, it might be, it might be the best thing for them, but they're, you're going to fail to deliver to the expectations that you set in the advertising if they're not using it correctly. So that's really the focus is, is what do you need to, to say? 
how do you need to say it? And when do you, do you need to say it? Hint, it's probably multiple times. You can't just say it once and think your job is done. You need to hit them in emails. You need to hit them pre-purchase, post-purchase. You need, you need unboxing. You need education on social to make sure that people are doing it correctly. You know, like for example, one of our products is Miracle Bomb and you have to like break the seal to get the color out. And I was watching a YouTube shorts last night and somebody didn't like it. And they're like, it offers no color. And she didn't break the seal. So like, <laughs> that's something that we have to just go, you, you kind of have to drill it into people's heads over and over and over just to make sure that they're actually using the products correctly. So yeah, we'll do a ton of that uh, depending on what product they buy. We'll also, we'll also look at, um, we will also look at what products people are buying. We'll do a lot of like LTV cohort data and like retention data to understanding what is the best customer journey? What's the best place to acquire a customer on? And then once they've gotten that, where is the best place to take them? Um, and there's probably no one customer journey, but there's probably multiple. So that's a lot of a lot of what we talk about and think about kind of with Eli on the re- retention side. So is, is product innovation one of your brand value propositions in terms would, of what you bring out? We call it a lifetime of beauty knowledge distilled where, you know, Bobby has been doing this for her whole career and she has seen, she has set trends, you know, 20, now I guess 27 years ago, probably 30 years ago, you know, she, she made a name for herself by completely innovating and doing a natural makeup look when people weren't doing that. And that was, that was very innovative. And, and, you know, now 30 years later, you know, culture has changed. Beauty has changed quite a bit. So it's, it's not necessarily a trend. We're not trying to chase trends or set trends. We're just trying to keep things fresh and, and modern. So yeah, there's definitely kind of quite a bit of, of innovation in there. And as in a CMO and in a family business, how does that feedback loop work with products that maybe you thought would do well and didn't do as well or that do much better than anticipated? Do you have a feedback loop? Are you able to, like, how do you structure those top end conversations? It's a great question. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you don't always know, but I think, you know, a little bit. And when, you know, again, like I'm saying, like marketing is not involved in the product development process, you know, we'll, we'll try us with product development. We'll kind of look at data of past launches and performance. And hopefully now, you know, we have some data under our belt to kind of know what people are buying, what people are not, but you kind of know if something is like an A, B or C tier launch, you know, and we'll, we will structure and plan accordingly. You know, like we had what the foundation launch, which was a category creator. And that happened to be, you know, our, our biggest day in history was, was that launch day um, versus, you know, we're launching, you know, something coming up, which is a skincare product, which is, is pretty standard. It's our take on it. Obviously we think it's really good and it's better, but it's not a category creator. It's, it's not a new thing. It's just a, an improvement on something that's already out there. And it, there's just not, there's only so much you can say about that, right? There's only so much you can say about an eyeliner that just happens to be better than an eyeliner. So you're, what you're really looking to do is, is have these category creator products, but obviously that's hard to do because if it was so easy, everyone would be doing it. So I think it's just, just trying to find the balance between the two. Yeah. So what's your approach to the market? Cause obviously makeup is an established market, especially women's makeup. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're looking at this huge addressable market size. Yeah. Um, what are your kind of, you're, you're, you're a young company, the grand scheme of things. So what are your kind of objectives short term? Do you have kind of a ladder map of, right, we're going to try and seize, you know, we're going to try and grab the land in this market and then we're going to expand to this market and this market, or are you just sort of, uh, feeling it out as you go? Like what, what's your process? Yeah, there's definitely not in this market. Do you mean like, like geographically, or do you mean more of like, kind of like, uh, interests and like 
ages I guess, and different stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, ages, interests, um, yeah, more, more ages and interests, like finding where your product fits best, your best a thousand customers, that whole thing. And then how are you how are you hoping to expand that out? Are you going to hope to like bring products out to other generations? Are you going to bring, uh, what's your kind of short and long-term roadmap for market uh, acquisition? Yeah, definitely. Great question. So I think it hasn't totally been um, planned out strategically like that, which is fine. I think most brands you'll find are, are very, uh, have a smaller total addressable market versus, you know, for example, you'll have like, like a younger brand it will be a Gen Z brand. It just, it just is not something that would appeal to a, you know, a 50 plus customer. And I think fortunately, just the way that we've done things, whether it's been on purpose or not, we actually have a pretty large total addressable market. So I think that that's been pretty fortunate, but I do think we're learning who our best customers are uh, and what is the messaging that resonates with them the most. And then just doing more of that messaging uh, and kind of actually niching down is, is probably pretty effective. Um, but I think we're also just actually trying our, our messaging is pretty broad and we're not trying to create, you know, these hyper specific funnels that, you know, have limited scale. So yeah, we're, we're trying to keep things pretty broad and ha- really just have it be a little bit more of an awareness play. Uh, just get more people aware of us, you know, more people into our funnel. Um, it's, it's kind of what we're going after because it's, it is pr- a pretty broad appeal. Yeah. And then you've got that advantage of social proof with Bobby. And yeah. I imagine does she, does she, how much gravitas does she add to the brand at the moment? Do you think in terms of, you know, if the brand could the brand stand out on its own or are you kind of using these, leveraging that to build out what your final kind of approach at the market will be in terms of, you know, when we're ready to just absolutely dominate the market, we want to be tried and tested at that point. So I guess what I'm asking is how much do you think she brings to the brand at the moment to get your customers in? And then when do you think the brand will evolve beyond Bobby? Great question. I think initially, actually, the plan was to not have her be the face of it that much and have her stand alone. But I don't think we really developed uh, unique enough, uh, you know, messaging value propositions. So for various reasons, I can't kind of go into all of them here. Um, she's definitely more of the face of it than than when we launched, and it's you can't really measure it. It's 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 unfair. Uh, it's, it's totally unfair. It's the reason why, you know, Mr. Beast on the day of Feastables launch broke the, the, the single day Shopify sales record. Um, yeah, you, you just can't really, uh, you, you really just can't do it. I mean, I do a little bit of angel investing, not a ton, and I'm trying to invest in, you know, creator or founder led brands because, you know, it's just hard to beat that story. And just obviously with ads becoming more difficult, you know, you need, you need to think audience first. That's, uh, you can't beat that than by having a, not just a celebrity because there's tons of celebrity brands that are not successful. You still, I, I still think everything we do, I still am always trying to remind the team of like, Hey, like we want to not rely on Bobby. We want to have everything stand alone without her. But then obviously it's just, it's just like jet fuel, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's so, I mean, it's a great asset to have you, you, you have to leverage it. Uh, yeah. Um, so where do you see, you have so much opportunity, you've got a growing brand, you've got the recipe, it seems to be, you know, a future potentially billion dollar brand. Yeah. You know? Um, where, where, how do you deal with the sheer amount of opportunities? And I, uh, you said early on in the show that, you, you know, you, 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 uh, you, I don't know what you said exactly, but you used about the power lifting. I can imagine you get quite into things. You're, you're quite excited yeah, by your opportunities. Yeah. 
and obsessive about things. And when new things pop up, it must be quite attractive to go and jump in. And so as a CMO of a potentially, you know, very large brand, how are you sort of reining yourself in to focus on some of the more boring things like, you know, step growth and things like that? Like, how do you stay focused on your core platforms and how do you identify what those are? It's a great question. I, I I used to be very, very, very impatient. And I would see something, let's say it's YouTube, because that's what we're not currently doing. And I'd be like, we have to do it. Or, or it was TikTok for a while, you know? Um, and I think I have these things in my mind that these, there are, even right now, there are way more opportunities uh, than than time and resources right now. And I guess, I don't know how, but I guess I've just gotten some... I've grown some sense of patience uh, because there are a bunch, you know, I think affiliate could be an amazing channel for us. YouTube could be huge. TV could be huge. Out of home could be huge. Um, You know, there's, there's a bunch partnerships we're not doing. So fortunately there's so much that we're not doing that we could be doing, but I guess I also have this little, I don't want to call it perfectionism, but wanting to, um, I guess to me, I don't think things are ever good enough. And I don't think there's ever a time where you just go like, oh, let's go move on to this thing. I think a lot of brands will do that. They'll be like, oh, we tried TikTok ads, you know, they didn't really work. Let's go on to the new thing. I was like, no, like you never really took the time to master them and get really good at them. And, you know, even when we're two years old, like our social, our organic social is always a constant work in progress. Our TikTok, there's so, we're driving 30% of our revenue from TikTok. I think we're, we're doing one fourth of what we could be doing on TikTok. You know, I think our Instagram could be way better. I mean, our, our email stuff is, is we're, we're really just scratching the surface on that. You know, we've got so many things on our website that I think we can improve on. I think we're just now getting into a pretty good place on Facebook with our creative. I think our landing pages could be way better, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I guess just this, maybe I'm just being obsessive about the things in the moment now and not obsessing about the future things, but they're definitely on my mind. I'm definitely thinking very strategically and I have ideas in my mind of when I would like to launch these things. But I think the, my focus has to be, it has to be on the who, you know, our, our, your bandwidth is limited, especially as a bootstrap company. And so who's going to do these things, who's going to own YouTube, who's going to own SEO, who's going to own affiliate. And so I think you can have these ideas, but you, if you don't have the people internally, you got to find them first. That's what I was going to ask you is you're an operator first. You came from a background of doing these things. I know you still do some things today. I know you've got your hands on the tools, but you're still also running the ads. Yeah. yeah. So how do you stop yourself getting wrapped up in the opportunities and go, do you know what? I know I can do this. I'm going to do it better than anyone else. I'm going to take this on and just end up taking on way too much. Like, do you yeah. just, how do you deal with that? Um, you can't, you can't do that. It's just not possible. It doesn't work. Um, I've worked with people. I've worked under people that are like that. It sucks to work for them. It sucks to work with them. Um, it's, it's, it's also just not effective. You know, one person can only do so much. That person then ends up slowing everything down. You end up marginalizing your, your team members. You know, you can't possibly be the expert in everything. So you have to be, you have to be humble. You know, I, I know a thing or two about SEO. I have no ability to actually go out of there and technically do it. You know, I know a thing or two about organic social. I can kind of help big picture strategize. Like I shouldn't be the one doing it. You know, same, same with email. There's people on our team that are better email than me. I can try to set strategy, try to kind of block and tackle and give team resources that they need. But yeah, you have to have the humility to, to be like, Hey, you're, I hired you for this because you're better than me at it. 
and I'm going to trust you and give you the support that you need. Uh, and if you don't feel like you can trust people, then it's one of two things. Either you need a huge, you know, slice of humble pie or you need to hire better team members. And so obviously that's a huge part of our focus, you know, like hiring people like Eli, hiring Joanne Coffey, hiring a bunch of people who you just really trust and you're just trying to support them and you're trying to help them learn, but you're, you're getting out of their way. Um, mm-hmm. Cause like I said before, nobody wants to work with somebody, whether it's a manager or anybody who thinks they know it all and can do it all and is trying to do it all. Yeah. I would just say though, I think you're at the four, I, I mean, of most of the Twitter accounts that I follow, which is not actually that many, if I'm looking to kind of understand who's going to have tried and tested the latest thing, I, I usually <laughs> gravitate towards you. And I think a lot of others do as well. So how do you hire when it sounds like a lot of your strategies are at the forefront of marketing and advertising? How are you hiring good people when you might well be the thought leader in the space? Again, I'm not the thought leader in everything. Like, I think I'm a generalist. I think I'm pretty good at Facebook ads, you know, stuff like that. But I think I'm a generalist. So I think, again, I just have to have the humility to, and I'm, it's, it's a work in progress. I'm not trying to say I'm perfect at it by any means, but, you know, to, to know that, um, you know, you got to hire somebody who's better than you. And like I said, if you don't, if I can't sit up there and be like, oh, like I, you know, I, I'm better than everybody. Like I can't hire anybody for this because I'm better than them. It's just, that's just not, that's just not how it works. There's always somebody better, but I think you have to hire people who you trust a lot, but also you work with, and it's a value additive relationship. Like I think like Eli and I work together very well and we, we both have uh, a very similar view on growth and a very similar mindset, but we do have different perspectives and, you know, hopefully he values my, my input and I can kind of give strategies and kind of, kind of, you know, just, just, I guess, navigate the ship a little bit, but he's going to be the one doing the, the, a lot of the, the work, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, one thing that everyone has been focused on has been proven to work time and time again is landing pages. Yeah. Um, when do you introduce a landing page into the, into the funnel and, uh, do you just use one landing page you're using? Cause I know you did things like setting up a quiz just to get people mm-hmm. to say yes. I thought that was like yeah. some crazy mind trickery going on. I haven't done that. That was, that was just an idea. <laughs> that was just an idea. I think it's a good idea. Like yes. I think it's, it, I kind of played it through my head, but I mean, yeah. So like what, when you, when you talk about landing pages, are they, do you mean like conversion pages as in the landing pages built to convert you in that session? Or do you sometimes use landing pages, educational pages as well? Like how are you mixing those up? Great question. So I got a few different that, that we'll run and test. Um, one is, is a listicle. That's probably what we have been using a ton of. So that's like a five reasons why. So it's educational, but it's short and sweet. Um, we've tested going to the PDP, uh, versus going to a quiz. We have found that going to a quiz usually works the best for, for us, but again, everybody's got to test what works for them. We use something we call a Trojan horse. Uh, the reason we call it that is, is it doesn't look like a landing page, like a sales page. Uh, it looks more like a standard homepage, but if you, th- but we've tested recently and like tweeted about this the other day, like we used to run a lot of traffic to PDPs cause it worked fine. But right now we're finding that driving traffic to PDPs is just far inferior to any type of landing pages that, that we're testing. My, I guess my, my theory behind why is, you know, PDP is really great when somebody has context, when they're a past customer or when they're familiar with the brand and they've gone to your homepage, they know what the brand is about. You know, they've seen you on social, interacted with more. And then they also um, have gone to a collections page. 
but somebody cold traffic coming from a Facebook or TikTok session, you know, they're not, they're not there to shop. You've got to like Nick Sharma would say, like roll out the red carpet for them. You've got to make it really, really easy to get all of the information you need. So we make these Trojan horse style pages that are still very conversion optimized, very conversion friendly, but they look like a standard landing page, a standard homepage. Think of it like a homepage for your product because we're usually running products for, and funnels for individual products. So you've got your hero, you have a navigation, but it's not actually a real navigation that, that clicks off. Uh, you either don't have any buttons in it. You just have like a sticky CTA or you have links that scroll down the page. So it's almost like a microsite. If you think about it that way, that's been uh, a really, really effective uh, landing page structure that we're doing. I've seen a few other people do it. I haven't heard other people kind of talk about it that way. Um, you have like a standard product landing page that like Nick Sharma has popularized. So those can work really well. Um, you just got to test, you know, everybody's always trying to reduce clicks and reduce friction, uh, make it as few clicks as possible. That's not always the best strategy. You know, we've tested for us. We're actually trying to introduce friction. That's why we had the quiz, especially on like top, top of funnel traffic sources like TikTok, where you're, you don't necessarily need somebody to buy immediately. You want time to build that relationship, educate them. The quiz works well. It's essentially lead gen. Um, so you're getting some customers to buy right away, but the majority of them lead gen, and then you're going to set up these very personalized uh, email flows. And then the final one that we use is actually an advertorial or an editorial. Uh, so you can work with uh, publishing partners. You know, you can, you can work with media companies, have them write either if you've gotten earned media, just run traffic to it, or you can actually partner with them, do some type of affiliate deal, have them write, you know, reviews or brand stories about your product and you can whitelist ads from their pages uh that can work incredibly well mm, i see you building something similar to that as a side hustle is that right did i sold that already i sold it back but uh, i <laughs> did did it in the beginning of the year in and out nice mm-hmm. um how smart are your landing pages then and what i mean by smart is are you how how personalized are your pages based on empowering them with data that you have about the customer or that customer segment are you doing it to that level yet or are you just doing sort of no, scenario. we're not. I know people that do that, right? Like people will be like, all right, if the ad says hair loss, the landing page has to say hair loss and the ad says weight loss. Like we, we haven't really done that yet. Our ads are not super like problem focused. They're a little bit more like middle of funnel, like benefit kind of desire instead of it. Um, so they're, they're, they're very product focused uh, just due to like the awareness level of, of a beauty audience and kind of like the brand recognition that we have. So there, our landing pages are a little bit more general. But I, I would say we have definitely done some, like, for example, like we've done some TikToks on like top tips for 50 plus. Uh, and we did like a, li- like a listicle, like top tips for 50 plus top tips for mature skin. Like that definitely works a lot better than if we just did like a general landing page. So uh, I would say we're probably starting to go in the direction of making them a little bit more specific. Mm-hmm. Like Before our, our uh, those, those editorial ones, like the mm-hmm. ads are all about like Bobby Brown's top tips for 50 plus. And then the, the editorial is completely all about that. So there's definitely some congruency that we're trying to find there. So you're sort of weaving the products into um, educational, entertaining content. Exactly. That's what people content. are on social to do, right? They're, yeah. they're trying to be entertained or educated. So all of our best stuff is either very educational or it's story driven. So we're trying to tell stories that, that happen to sell products and, and teach people that while happening to sell products instead of just selling on social. Maybe that's where this came from. You said your organic TikTok and Instagram content and performance should inform your paid creative strategy and your paid creative testing should inform your organic content. Is that along the same lines? Can you expand on that? Yeah, of course. So I look at kind of our messaging testing um, alpha phase, if you will, beta phase, 
it's just organic TikTok. We we film founder stuff with Bobby and we just throw out hooks. So we'll do research. We'll find what people are searching on TikTok. We'll find what's popular. We'll look through, you know, gorgeous CX requests. We'll look at reviews on our website. We'll look at contents on, uh, comments on our TikTok and we'll come up with stuff that we want to test, test a, testing hooks and messaging. Whatever works well there, usually that gets, you know, 50K to 100 views, we'll launch as an ad. Again, we're, we're still selling stuff but we're, we're educating first. We're so starting with a hook, educating, and then leading into a product. Just um, to interrupt you, sorry. Yeah. When you say you launch it as an ad, do you literally take it as it is and just put spend behind it? Or do you take yeah. the principle of it? No, we'll, we'll, and we'll launch it as a TikTok ad. We'll literally launch it exactly how it is. Spark post. Because we're creating these knowing we're, we want to use them as an ad. So we're creating them kind of, you know, with that purpose in mind. Uh, we'll find what works there. If it works, then we'll create a few variations of it for TikTok. We'll use some B-roll. Maybe we'll test a few different hooks. We'll then run those on Facebook. A lot of those, we'll just run kind of those TikToks on Facebook. We'll whitelist them from Bobby's page and it works really well. And then what we do, again, we've got a lot of data from this now. What we'll do is when we find stuff works and a lot of these work very well, we will then take these and, and go into our higher production quality shoots where we're shooting 8K, you know, and we'll use the the same exact messaging, the same exact storytelling. We'll we'll shoot these in a way where we can get a bunch of variations of them. But absolutely. And then what we'll do is we'll do these. We'll we'll test some messaging. We'll test some messaging on these visuals from the studio style. I will share that messaging with our organic team and they'll be like, okay, let me test some of these new things on organic. And the 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 cycle just kind of repeats itself. Mm-hmm. I know that Bobby's met Gary Gary V and I know that you've uh, had some wisdom from him but I always loved his content pyramid and it sounds like that's sort of something a bit about what you you find that top piece that works and you just spread it out and down into loads of other pieces of content and for sure that's such a great way of uh, kind of guaranteeing your success and you also mentioned 8k and I love the argument for 8k because you know, anytime we do a bit of video production here, we, we're literally the last two days we've been on the product sheet for a, for a company over here in the UK. And um, the question, why bother? Why, what are you doing? Do it? But the the answer is, is that it might not be something that people can utilize now, but if you want your content to be utilized in the future when they can, you need to be shooting as best you can now, because otherwise, you know, you haven't got longevity in your content. So I do applaud anyone that is going down that route and, and pushing for the highest quality they can. Yeah, there's, there's been, and, and I was probably this way, there's been such a push towards UGC and against studio stuff. And a lot of it is probably by people that have never actually tested studio stuff properly. Um, if a lot of people will talk about creative being the targeting you know, there are people on Facebook that will respond well to UGC and there are people that are respond well to higher quality stuff. Also, branding and brand is important. And, you know, if you're trying to sell a premium version of something, it makes sense to have premium aspects of it throughout the whole customer journey. And I'm not saying it has to be because I still think there's a time and a place. I don't think UGC is off brand. It's just native to the platform. But uh, what we find is is that it lasts longer. Studio quality stuff, it for whatever reason, we can run a creative for way longer. I don't know why. Um, I don't know if it, it appeals to more people, but I, I love I love Masterclass in terms of their production quality and how they bring stories and everything into what they do. And I know Bobby did a Masterclass, but that level of production for me has such a value to it. I don't think they got their commercial model right, but I think they definitely did something right in how they portrayed the value of this information and made it just so i don't know sexy but also just it just felt premium um and i don't think Absolutely. enough brands capitalize on that kind of story it's funny you say that because they're literally 
those ads, the Bobby ones, since like we saw those, since we launched, I have been wanting to make ones. That's like our biggest inspiration for our current ads that we, we do with this company called Vidigrow. Um, but that's what we're finding is because again, why are people on social? They're on social to be entertained. They're on social to be told stories. So instead of just being like, here's this product, buy this product, we are telling stories of how to use it. We're telling origin stories. We're telling stories about confidence, whatever it is that also happen to sell products. But I think Masterclass does a great job. You'll see they they don't run these these videos with just buy this class. It's They give a snippet of it. They kind of get you hooked and then they lead you to a place where you can get more of that. So yeah, yeah exactly. Huge fan. Yeah. And it's a massive psychology thing as well, is that the production quality you put into your advertising reflects the quality of your products and the people exactly. behind your products. You make crap ads with crap quality. Guess what? That that understanding in the consumer's mind translates over to your products and to your brand. So it's just not a place you can skimp. And I think so many brands mess that up. And that's also got ties back to live shopping as well. I think that cheapens a lot of brands in the way that they do it. So I agree. yeah. It's it's a bit of a minefield. So one last question for the for the quick lightning round is the e-commerce landscape is changing. I say changing because there's a lot of depression around about yeah. e-commerce, but I think actually if you're a good operator, you'll find the opportunities mm-hmm. and there are abundance of opportunities out there. Um, what's your thoughts on it? How are you going to navigate it now as a CMO? You know, the responsibility kind of comes down to you commercially. Um, <clears throat> you know, have you got stresses, pressures, ideas? What's your kind of growth versus profitability mindset? Like, what are you focused on? What are you thinking about? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, uh, and I don't say any of this to kind of try to sound smart or arrogant at, by, by any means, but I think we're in a fortunate position. And Maybe it's on purpose. Maybe it's luck. I have no idea where we're not super worried. Obviously, I think for everybody, growth will be a little bit slower. But I think, you know, when your cash flow positive every month, um, that definitely can help you sleep well at night. You know, so just trying to be very disciplined. Um, it, it's just funny because, like, so for example, when iOS 14 happened, there were all these gurus and agencies and brands talking about, like, oh, well, now we got to focus on creative and we got to focus on landing pages and we got to focus on organic social and email and SMS. And it was like, it was all the stuff that we should have been doing from the beginning just to have a good business that people were saying, now you have to focus on. And it's kind of the same thing with, with a, a potential downturn or recession. All the things that people are saying to focus on, you know, I've been at high level operator dinners with people and they're like, yeah, you just got to focus on the fundamentals, like cut expenses cash flow, you know, fix your cash conversion cycles, like all this stuff. And it's like, it's just the stuff that I think people should have been doing from, from the get go. And again, I'm not trying to stand on a high horse, like by any means, like it, we're, there's definitely a lot of things that we can improve upon, but I just think it's fun, funny, like that people are now focusing on things like profitability and, and focusing that, that on more than growth. Um, I just think it's again, like, the bubble has kind of popped a little bit and there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be hurt by it because they were uh, maybe a little bit greedy, you know, maybe a little bit overzealous. Um, And I I think it's going to be definitely difficult. It's going to be harder to acquire customers. Uh, Marketing is going to be less efficient. You know, capital is not going to be as quick to come by. But I think, again, if you're focusing on profitability, you're focusing on brand, you're focusing on giving people an incredible experience, you don't have that much to worry about. You'll get yeah, through it. Maybe maybe you don't hit your growth projections right now, but you'll be fine and you'll get through it and you'll be better off for it. 
That's right. And and there's so many of these. I think what a lot of brands thought they were building brands, but they were just paying to acquire customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just right place, right time, right product, and they could sell it. But now we're going to see the brands that actually have good product market fit, have differentiated themselves enough, that have demand, and that also just have a good brand story or brand um behind the products because ultimately that's what we want in the world anyway we don't want cheap crap that is just an impulse buy and you just continue to buy that Mm -hmm. i think that you know it's kind of okay that we lose some of these um some of these brands because ultimately you know they got a a bit of a free ride up until this point powered by technology and there will be other technologies but this is time for fundamentals right this is time for the for the people who have those fundamentals to actually grow i think so for for whatever reason for whatever reason, DTC e-commerce has been the only business where people will debate if having a good product even matters, which is ludicrous. And the only reason why people are even having that debate or had that debate was because Facebook was just so underpriced and scary effective. And again, post iOS, we saw it, but I think it's the same thing like you're saying, like we're just going to see that those debates are silly and you're going to have to have a great product and a great brand and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there was a lot of sharks and the sharks had the tools to be able to build things and make money doing it. And and yeah, it, I don't think it's really necessarily a bad thing. Hard times create, you know, harder businesses and good, the good businesses prevail. So let's see yeah. who comes out the other end of it. And if you don't, you know, maybe that's a good thing and you can reapply to something that means something, you know, and will stand the test of time. I don't know. I don't own an e-commerce brand, so I have no place saying any of those. <laughs> Always things, easier said my... than done. Yeah, easier yeah, of course. Than done, yeah. So a bit like a bit of a lightning round, um, cool. if that's okay. So, yeah. um, do you feel like you found where you belong now? Because you've done a few things, and uh, I imagine you did those things very well, and then you did something different. So you're in e-commerce now. You're a CMO. Is this where you are forever now? Do you think? No, not forever. I think I'll probably always be somebody who probably jumps around a little bit. I think, you know, the key is finding what are the similarities in the principles. So you're not like starting from scratch. Uh, but, but definitely for, for the time being, definitely, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I think like probably thinking about things in terms of seasons and whether that's a decade, whether that's five years, three years, I'll probably somebody who will probably, you know, bounce around and, and get bored and want to do different things. Um, but, but for now, definitely very happy with where I am. How would you describe your personality type? Uh, pretty, so I'm definitely introverted. I'm definitely shy, especially like when it's like, I'm not the, the best small talk guy. So definitely when it's like not something that is related to a passion of mine, but I'm definitely very intense, even if it doesn't appear like that on the outside, definitely on the inside, very intense, very obsessive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm very much the same. And I think <laughs> small talk should we just be fucking banned. <laughs> yeah. small talk. Just get to the point. Um, do you think you'll start your own e-commerce venture? It's in the blood. No, I don't think so. What would hold you back? Uh, not, not wanting to. I think, you know, hopefully, you know, knock on wood, uh, I guess, fingers crossed, I, after John's Road, I, I won't money won't be my primary motivation. Hopefully we can get a pretty good exit from it. Um, and I think from there, it's kind of, um, you know, obviously you want to make money, but it's really doing something that, you know, just you enjoy doing. And I, I don't exactly know what that'll be. You know, I didn't know where I'd be two years from now. I didn't think I'd be here. So you never know, 
but uh, I don't know if, if operating a brand would be what I want to do. It might be doing some type of consulting. It might be doing some type of investing. Um, I'm in love with media, media companies. I, I don't know exactly what I would do, but that seems like a really fun one. I think Mr. Beast has the best life. I think. <laughs> yeah, I can never be a no YouTuber. Object. I'm more of like a behind the scenes guy, but, but yeah. So um, I'm not going to ask you how much money in the bank is enough because I feel like it's somewhat irrelevant. But when would you consider, uh, you know, leaving? Would you? W- w- is there a number that you think? Are you doing it? Are you? Are you? Are you let's say everyone that you started Jones Road with is yeah. gone. Uh, they, they've all they've all ch- cashed out mm-hmm. and they're doing their other things. You're the last one left, and the business has grown. Yeah. Is there a number that you sort of would put your hat on and say, okay, uh, you know, I'm happy there, and I'll do whatever I want to do moving forwards? I don't think. I'm the type of person that um, could retire that, you know, about to turn 30. So like, what, what would I do? But I think I would love to probably set something up where my time was spent on the stuff that I love doing, which is probably more like stuff like this, talking about it, writing, writing about it, you know, helping other people, but not necessarily, you know, in the weeds. But I also think I have to earn that right. And I think I have to put in the time and, do a little bit of the the gritty stuff and and you know the, I'm just learning a ton every day about how to grow a business, what to do, what not to do. Um, so I think there it's there's probably a number in my mind in terms of you know what it would take. But I also think it's if I feel like I got out of it what I needed and I'm totally not there yet. Put, let me push you for that number. Will yeah. you give us a number, a rough number. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you need, I think I'd need 50 million pre-tax. I you know, know you, what that works out after tax in the US. Exactly. But it's but significantly let's, less. Let's just say it's half. That's 25. <laughs> and then if the if you do what you know what you're trying to do, I think they say do like three percent to live off of it. You know, you just invest the most of that, live off of it. I mean, gives you a comfortable, very comfortable lifestyle, you know, without having to work. And then and then again, like I said, I probably would work. I would do something, but you know, money wouldn't be the primary motivation. That's uh that's my goal. What's your favorite type of physical training at the moment? Uh, you know, because I was somebody that I, I lifted, I was doing very anaerobic uh, strength training. I was competing in Olympic weightlifting for a while. Uh, I kind of always neglected my aerobic capacity just due to some injuries. Like I'm never going to really be able to lift heavy like that again. So there's kind of no point. So I'm, I'm enjoying kind of working on my aerobic system, doing a lot of Peloton, uh, doing some, you know, just, just general aerobic stuff. Um, it's not the fun stuff, but I guess it feels good getting better at it. What stock would you buy right now? Uh, or would you, what, what stock would you, would you think is going to be the, the best stock to buy right now? Oh man, do not listen to me. This is not investment <laughs> advice. Um, I am dollar cost averaging a thousand bucks a week into the S and P 500. That's my strategy right now. Cause I don't trust myself. I think I'm in the, uh, learning how to make money phase of my life. And I don't think I'm necessarily in the learning how to keep it and, you know, compound it phase of my life yet. And so I don't think I have enough expertise or time to, to get good at doing that right now. I, I, I think a lot of people think they're smarter than they are and they can beat the market. Um, but I know, I know I'm not, nor do I have the time and nor do I want to take the, I don't want to stress about my stuff going down when that takes a focus away from me building the main thing. So yeah, I'm just dollar cost averaging as much as I can and trying to feel good about that. Final question. Do you have a name for your baby yet? I do, but can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, I think we told people the initials. The initials are LJ. 
which LJ, I, like. Let's... I really like LJ. I think I'll call her the by LJ a lot. LJ, I like it. Who's going to guess it first? Let's see. Will you say yes if people guess it? Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's been a blast, and I've I've stolen more time than you. Uh, you well, you've been very generous, and I really yeah, appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yeah, great. thanks for having me. It's, this has been a fun one, so thanks for having me. I appreciate it. The fact that you're still here at the end of this episode tells me that one. You must have enjoyed it and two you're probably as big of an e-commerce geek as i am thank you for sticking around and i just want to give a special thanks to rewind clearco and fixer for sponsoring this episode you can find more information and the offers that are associated with those companies in the show notes below please also if you haven't already go to ecom.gold and subscribe to Gold Club. You'll get alerts about upcoming episodes. You'll get extra content like playbooks from each of the people and guests that we have on the show. And you'll also get access to some of the exclusive content that we have coming up. And finally, do share the show with your friends. Give us a review. Uh, It really helps us to build our audience. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take it easy.